Hello and welcome to Fenella and Simon's Cult TV Themes. I'm Fenella Fieldy. I'm Simon McKay. We're featuring theme tunes from TV series that have somehow acquired cult status. Now, how did they manage that? Bit of a mystery. If it was just being overlooked when first broadcast and appreciated much later, that'd be simple. Star Trek has one of the biggest cult followings, but it was very popular when it was first shown. Ah, well, you don't just mean appreciated then. You mean programmes that people are crazy about, devoted to. Programmes that inspire conversations and fan clubs and badges. Badges, yeah, that's the stuff. Yeah. We're not featuring Star Trek on this show, though, are we? No. There are hundreds of examples of cult TV spanning the decades, but rather sensibly, we're sticking to British productions mainly from the 60s. Why sensibly? Because I grew up watching them, and you were in a number of them. Ah. We'll stick to what we know. Okay. Today, as well as the music, we have a number of guests on the show. Yes. Sylvia Sims, Kate O'Mara, and Alexandra Bastido all appeared in the cult TV shows we're featuring. Wonderful. Mm. We'll get to them soon, but let's get a feel for the music that will be on the show. Let's start with a big sound. Okay. Richard Bradford. He plays McGill. Ah, he's the man in Man in a Suitcase. Yep. Falsely accused of something despicable. He's bounced out of the CIA. Becomes a private investigator. Like Philip Marlowe. Yes, taking any job that pays pays his his daily daily rate. McGill's bitter about his situation. That somehow makes him interesting. This is the theme. It's a Ron Grainer composition from 1967.
Man in a Suitcase by Ron Grainer. We'll hear more of his compositions later. That was a nice jaunty start. Certainly not from your bag of sad songs. Sad songs will sadly be missing today. <laughs> Which is in keeping with these TV shows. So many of them were about high energy and excitement. Our selections are generally taken from action-adventure programmes and they sometimes strayed into fantasy. We had an evening at your place watching DVDs of various programmes we're featuring. Mm. It was the first time you'd seen some of them. You didn't see them when they were actually on TV? No, I didn't. Well, you had to be in, didn't you? <laughs> Sounds like your time in the 60s was pretty exciting. Not bad, but not as exciting as The Saints. That's a smooth link. <laughs> Not as smooth as Roger Moore in The oh. Saint. <laughs> well, shall we talk about The Saint? Roger Moore, he was a cardigan model before he worked as an actor. Well, I'd never have guessed. <laughs> but it suited him, the role of Simon Templer. The initials, S-T, The Saint. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, he played the part with a dry style. And an arched eyebrow. Yeah. That's his thing. He can say it all just by raising an eyebrow. (laughs) The show was one of the most expensive made in the 60s, but it paid off. It was probably the most successful. Part of the success came because it had the biggest guest stars. Anna Blackman, Jane Asher, Julie Christie, Alexandra Bastido, Kate Amara and Sylvia Sims. We went to visit Sylvia and asked her about the show. She said she was in quite a number of episodes because, well, she knew Roger and she got on with him and she had a lovely time doing them. One of the nicest things about it, even when it was quite tense because it was rushed, there was always a wonderful sense of humour about because Roger's like that. And the people he wants to work with are like that. He is one of the funniest men I've ever met. And he's wonderful at comedy. Just did it with an eyebrow. His eyebrows, they're still effective, do you know that? Working with Roger Moore was a major factor in why Sylvia appeared on the Saint, but she also told us how important the film crew were. They had very good lighting people, quite famous lighting people, and they made it look expensive. It wasn't, they were crappy sets. It was mostly done on the back lot at Elstree Studios, ATV. But... Oh, mostly you provided your own clothes. (laughs) Ah, Sylvia. Super special actress, as well as being a beautiful woman. Mm. So, let's hear the theme tune, composed by Edwin Astley, The Saint.
Recorded in 1967 by Brian Fahey, the theme from The Saint. We talked about how successful the series was, but much lesser known is Adam Adamant Lives. Ah yes, this one's so clever in the way it's set up. The origins of Adam Adamant were terribly convincing. He was, well, he was frozen in a block of ice in 1902 by some evil fiend or other. And 64 years later, they discovered him during building works. They thaw him out. He's just a little bit bemused, (laughs) but he's perfect in every other respect. And he still has the body of a 35-year-old. Yeah, and what's clever, the 60s was a time of sudden big changes. Mm. Regular people had to struggle to keep up, but they could watch this TV show and the character from another century he could be shocked on their behalf by all the new things he saw. A fashion revolution, sexual freedom. And I bet shocked is just how many people felt about all those things. Yeah, exactly. But the series was still fun. Oh, yes. He teams up with this very hip mod, this girl around town, Georgie, and together they're ready to take on gangsters, nasties, and of course a multitude of madmen. Unusually, this theme uses a singer. You recognised her straight away? Well, of course I did. Very distinctive. All the girls then wanted to be Kathy Kirby. <laughs> but you didn't. <laughs> Kathy Kirby, Adam Adamant lives. Adam Kirby with the theme to Adam Adamant Lives. Oh, it's the champions next. Yes. This was about two men and a woman who were rescued from a plane crash by a mysterious Tibetan monk. Ah, those mysterious Tibetan monks. (laughs) He revived them and endowed them with special powers, amazing strength, hearing, sight, and they could talk to each other telepathically. Well, that's handy. They had to keep their superpowers a secret, though. Yes, except from us, of course. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) We were in on it, nobody else. Not even their employer, an international peacekeeping organisation called Nemesis. That's them. I watched this when I was seven or eight, and what was good about it? It brought brothers and sisters together. Oh? Well... My friend and I would always be running around playing spies or detectives, but when we played at this, there was a place for his sister. Ah, because of Alexandra Bastido's character? Yeah. We spoke to Dick Fiddy, TV consultant at the British Film Institute, and we had a fascinating conversation about lots of 60s TV. 
We particularly liked his take on the champions. What I like about the champions is it's really serious. When you look at it, I mean, it, there's, there's very little um, on the surface, very little fun. It's quite grim. You know, they're all, they, they all take it very seriously. Alexander Bastido is just brilliant as that ice queen that she yeah. plays. And it's someone that rarely cracks her composure, you know, and just goes along with those two slab-like heroes, you know, that there's very little emotion in it. You know, it, it's all about getting the job done. So I like that a lot. And we asked Alexandra about a character. She told us this. Women at that time were not given as much to do, really, as the men. So, I mean, my lines were sort of a lot of he went that way or fill in things. And the actual meatiness of the parts were often given to the men. So occasionally I got given something, but not as much as they were. She was a match for anybody when it came to physical strength. And she had some great scenes. You know... Without even causing a ruffle to her evening dress, she lifted a Mini Cooper with one hand. Yes, that was one of them. And the other one, I think, is when I go through a, a tunnel and a man puts his hand on my leg or something and I, when I come out of the tunnel, he's not in the car anymore. There you are, you see. Not just a pretty face. No, and very interesting. She has her own animal sanctuary now. About 150 animals. Wonderful. All sorts, even donkeys. We're going to hear the big orchestral sound that Tony Hatch used for the Champions theme, followed by some incidental music from the show.
second track we heard doesn't have the big sweeping motif. It's more about emphasising the excitement on screen. It's beautifully done, written by Albert Elms. That's the champions. Next we have the Avengers. Yes, based around the immaculately dressed English gentleman Steed and his series of high-kicking, all-action female companions. Together they solved bizarre mysteries. And you appeared in an episode, The Charmers. It was very good. Ah, well, glad you liked it. You know, it was the last episode that Honor Blackman was in. So everyone thought I was being tried out to take over from her. But never the case. No, never. Not for one moment. But everybody was taking me out to the Capris and other smart eating joints, hoping, you know, I'd spill the beans. It was extraordinary. Everybody? Well, all those newspaper men. See, they just couldn't believe it wouldn't be me. I don't know why, because in it I played such a dizzy creature. You were bound and gagged and thrown into a box. Ah, yes. Well, I loved that. (laughs) (laughs) But then along came Patrick Whitney to save the day. Loved that too. Phew. Phew. (laughs) From 1965, The Avengers Theme by Laurie Johnson. The Avengers theme by Laurie Johnson. Oh, I knew Laurie Johnson. Hmm. He had a terrible fear of flying. You know, if he was in London but he was needed in America, they'd give him a sleeping pill and he'd be taken onto the plane on a stretcher, sound asleep, 
And that would be timed so that he, he woke up just as he arrived in New York or whatever he was doing his music. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But it shows how important he was. But he wouldn't have made much of an Avenger. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, Danger Man. Starred Patrick McGowan as John Drake, coming in 1960... It was pretty much the first spy thriller and set a high standard. It really was good. I was amazed. Well, you were in an episode. Oh, yes, but, you know, until last week, that was the only episode I'd seen. When you appeared, your character, a glamorous hostess, made an attempt to seduce John Drake, but he wasn't having it. Quite right, too. Or perhaps you were too subtle. Ah. In another episode, we watched... How he plays it. He decides the best way to make an acquaintance with his target is through the man's daughter. Well, he practically clubbed her over the head and dragged her off. <laughs> Pretty much no finesse. It really was like he was on a mission. She must have been baffled. All that attention, but no sweet talk and no kiss. Ah, yeah, that was one of his things. Drake never kissed a girl because McGoon didn't want children to think promiscuity was okay. <laughs> I was a child when I first watched Danger Man, and I liked that there was no kissing. Kissing was boring. I wanted to see fights, gadgets, chasers. Now I realise all those things can involve girls. And even kissing can be okay. <laughs> Let's hear the original theme from Danger Man, and straight after, a version written for the later series, both by Edwin Astley. Every government has its Secret Service branch. America, CIA, France, Deuxième Bureau, England, MI5. NATO also has its own. A messy job? Well, that's when they usually call on me or someone like me. Oh, yes. My name is Drake. John Drake. It was a cold, windy morning. It would be. My orders were to sit at the corner table of a certain cafe at 6.15 precisely. I was supposed to be reading a copy of Ici Paris while I awaited the arrival of the inevitable mysterious stranger. <laughs> These security boys must sit up nights working out the cloak and dagger stuff. You know, they even had a password for this job. Question, coffee and eggs for two. Answer, why not scrambled? Believe it or not. We've even sneaked in a bit of the dialogue. That's John Drake. This is the theme seven years later.
two separate pieces, Edwin Astley, both written for Danger Man. He was prolific in the 60s. These were the theme tunes used in the UK, but in the States, the show was renamed Secret Agent Man, and they came up with a pop song of the same name. We have a version of it by Mel Torme. You saw him play, didn't you? Ah, yes, he was a very big star in the 60s. Hmm, Mel Torme, Secret Agent Man. he meets he stays a stranger with every move he makes another chance he takes odds are he won't live to see tomorrow secret agent man secret agent man they've given you a number and taken away your name Beware of pretty faces you may find A pretty face can hide an evil mind Oh, careful what you say Don't give yourself away Odds are you won't live to see tomorrow Secret agent man Secret agent man They've given you a number and taken away your name. Sunning on the Riviera one day, then bleeding in a Bombay alley next day. And if the wrong word slips while kissing persuasive lips, odds are you won't live to. Tomorrow Secret Agent man Secret Agent man They've given you a number And taken away your name Secret Agent man Secret Agent man They've given you a number And taken away your name Only got a number he has a very mellow tone to his voice, and his timing's good. This doesn't sound a bit like him. Not the typical Mel Torme voice. Oh. I remember him doing a much more smoothy type of song. Ah, uh, but this is the high excitement world of spies and espionage. Mm. I don't think it's a lyric that really fits McGoon's character, though. Listen. If the wrong word slips while kissing persuasive lips, you didn't kiss. No, not likely. More interesting, the line, given you a number, taken away your name. Oh, you're thinking of the prisoner, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. McGowan's role as number six in The Prisoner. I'm not a number. I am a free man. A famous line. Relates to the main theme of the show, individual freedom. McGowan's character is held captive in the village. One of the mysteries is who is really in charge. There's a changing cast of actors who take the role of second in command. Aptly, they're always called number two. Yes, they run the place and with a series of ever more elaborate bonkers attempts. They try to find out why number six resigned from his role in the secret service. Needless to say, they get nowhere. Our man runs them ragged. You know, I never saw it. 
Although I did do the tannoy announcement. <laughs> like it was a holiday camp. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, you know, it was funny. Patrick came into the little sound studio and told me it's not to be too sexy. Well, I had the script in front of me. I, it just was good morning, good morning. And I thought, I wonder why he's bothering to tell me that. How could that possibly sound sexy? Hmm. I wasn't able to see the series when it was going out, but you know, I knew there was a terrific buzz about it. During that time, I went to some dinner party, and practically all the men there were writers, script writers, you know, playwrights, novelists, and they were all talking about The Prisoner, and they all found it so fascinating. What they really wanted to know, how is he going to end it? Can't see how he can possibly end it. And you know, they were right, because he never did end it, did he? It just suddenly stopped. The series ended prematurely. Well, there was an ending, but it wasn't considered satisfactory. But that kind of worked in its favour. Maybe that's why it's so enigmatic now and has generated so much discussion since the broadcast. The theme tune suits it perfectly. And we're adding some incidental music. The Prisoner by Ron Grainer. Hmm.
Prisoner. Okay, so you didn't watch it at the time, but we recently saw the first episode together, and within five minutes, we heard your voice. Because as well as being the Tannoy announcer, you were the telephone operator, refusing to connect our hero's call. Yes, well, I had to refuse. He wouldn't tell me his number. Number six. He spent the rest of the series not answering to that, but you were the first to ask him. Oh, great honour. <laughs> Next, we've got The Protectors, from 1972. It starred Nari Dawn Porter and Robert Vaughan. Yes, he's still on TV now in Hustle. Yeah. The Protectors was created by the marionette king, Jerry Anderson, and his wife, Sylvia. They made shows with puppets, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, but they were dying to work with flesh and blood people and not just characters made from wood. They got Robert Vaughan with his marvellous looks and they had to go abroad to make this one. There are some very exotic locations. We watched one and they were definitely there. Oh, it was probably Brighton. <laughs> the dialogue was impenetrable. I couldn't work out what they were talking about because their mouths didn't match the words. I think they dubbed the voices later. That's proof it was recorded on location. Not very well, but on location. We were fascinated by this obsession with the exotic places, you know, that runs through all these series. And we found the perfect person to ask about them. The extremely glamorous Kate O'Mara, who made guest star appearances in practically every show we're covering today. Ah, uh, Kate boundless energy. We went to see her and we asked her about the obsession with exotic locations evident in so many of these shows. In those days people didn't travel abroad like they do now but I do remember filming I think it was Jason King an episode of Jason King which was supposed to be in South America and we were in the underground car park at ABPC and it was January and we were freezing absolutely freezing but you know you just pretended and you had a lot of suntan makeup on, and, and one was playing a South American. I only ever played foreigners, and one had a different, a different accent every week. And eventually I gave up and just adopted an all-purpose continental foreign accent because it was very difficult to differentiate between them all. Of course, Kate is rather exotic-looking too, in a very good way. She saw the shows as fantasy, escapism. And that's another element to foreign locations. They would have been so unfamiliar and therefore appealing to audiences. We're about to play the theme from The Protectors, but Kate was in The Saint too. Did you notice she said virtually the same thing about Roger Moore as Sylvia Sims? Mm, yeah, I did. So with two testimonies, it must become a fact. Roger Moore is divine. Thank you, Sylvia. And this is what Kate said. Anything with Roger and it was bound to be happy because he's just... It was his mission in life to, to make filming go... I think he had money in it as well. That's probably the reason that it needed to go swimmingly. And so he kept the crew happy, he kept the cast happy, and everybody had an absolute ball. We're glad to hear it. Tony Christie sang the theme tune for The Protectors. It was released as a single, it was a hit in 1972, and it's called Avenues and Alleyways. Better than the way to Amarillo. Like a 
baby My little lady Dream till the sunrise Creeps into your eyes Dream till the sunrise Avenues and alleyways from the protectors. We've got Department S next. It follows a team of two men and a woman working for the government. The standout character is Jason King, played by Peter Wingard, and he's fascinating. Oh, yes. We could probably have done an entire show just about him. He famously said, Whenever I feel the need for exercise, I lie down until it passes. <laughs> that sounds about right. He's a friend of yours. He saw you on TV recently when you appeared in an episode of Skins and wrote to you to say how much he enjoyed it. Ah, yeah. It was lovely to hear from him. Yeah. And we've been speaking to him by phone, but his health hasn't been so good, so we weren't able to get him on the show. No, no. He's having a bit of a hard time. Peter, we wish you better. Yes, yes, we do. The Department Desk stories had a strong element of the fantastic, but they were all resolved in a fairly matter-of-fact way. Even the one about the aeroplane with no pilot. No pilot? <laughs> yeah. The plane landed, but there wasn't a single person on board. Well, how did they do that? 
Well, there was a pilot. He simply hid under the floorboards, <laughs> slipped away later. Well, that's disappointing. I was hoping for a bit of magic. Mm, no magic. Ha! We have a late addition to the show. One of our postcards must have got through. Oh, who is it? My name's John Astley. I'm the eldest son of Edwin Astley, or Ted Astley, as he's better known. He composed and recorded the music for Danger Man, The Saints, Randall and Hopkirk and Department S in the 60s. Department S actually came about from me getting a, a Vox Continental organ. I was playing around, playing a little, 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 just practicing things like this. And my dad said, oh, can I use that? So I said, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> when we got into the studio, the guy that was playing the part didn't have a, a keyboard that could respond quickly enough. So it became do 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 with the theme over the top and the little 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 the double theme it got lost that day actually at the recording. How old were you at the time? <laughs> about sixteen. Yeah, about then. I had a had a little rock band when I was fifteen, sixteen years old. That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Ah, that was unexpected. <laughs> Edwin Astley's theme from Department S. <laughs> my favourite of all these tunes. It's another Edwin Astley and it really captures the excitement of the era. Wonderful. Department S only ran for one season but that wasn't the end of Peter's character. No. Jason King proved so popular he was given his own show. ITC, who made so many of these series, were a bit of a sausage factory, much as I love sausages. I love that Peter Wingard had his own ideas and put so much of himself into his character. He created a gem. I'd have liked to have seen you in it. Ah, oh, well, he did offer me a part, but 
What happened? I turned it down. Oh, why? Well, at the time, I wanted to be taken a bit more seriously. I thought it was a bit over the top, so I said no. Mm. Well, it did have an effect on Peter's career. It was hard for him to go back to serious roles in the West End afterwards. Yes, well, that's exactly how it Mm. is. So it's a mixed blessing, an iconic role like this. The the Austin Powers films, more than anything, were based on Jason King. Ah. Here's the theme tune from Jason King. Another one written by that reluctant flyer, Laurie Johnson. Jason King, followed by some incidental music from the show. What's next, Simon? Well, there's something different about this pair of private eyes. One of them is dead. (laughs) That was the promo for Randall and Hopkirk deceased. What it meant was Hopkirk was only visible to Randall and us. Oh, like Elvira and Blythe Spirit. Yeah. Hopkirk was murdered in the first episode and came back wearing an immaculate white suit. To make it obvious he was dead. (laughs) Marvellous. Brilliant idea. His talent for eavesdropping and slipping through walls could be quite an asset for a private detective agency. Lovely idea. I have to say, the special effects weren't that special, but it was imaginative and very likeable as a show. We watched an episode from 1969. It had David Jason in it. Oh, yes. 
He was young once. <laughs> yes, just not famous. Mm. It's another theme by Edwin Astley. Randall and Hockkirk. Deceased. Randolyn Hopkirk, deceased. We said a young David Jason appeared in this before he was famous. Now this next show, the last one we have time for, was all about using a famous cast. It's the Persuaders. Roger Moore and Tony Curtis. Yeah, it was at the beginning of the 70s. And although it wasn't a follow-up to The Saint, it was certainly designed for the same market, and particularly made with the Americans in mind. Didn't seem to work out, though. There was no second series. No, despite the inclusion of Tony Curtis... The Americans didn't want to know. They considered it too jokey, but the Europeans loved it, and they dubbed it in many languages, and the creators lived happily ever after. Phew. The great John Barry wrote the theme, and it sold rather well. Yeah, being an instrumental didn't hold it back. We're near the end of the show. We've been listening to theme tunes from cult TV shows, mainly from the 60s, and talking about the shows they were taken from. Fenella... I won't ask you about the music you enjoyed most, but instead, which programmes? Well, it was fascinating to see them all. I think my favourites were The Prisoner and Danger Man. Mm. I mean, quality, really, from head to toe. Marvellous cast, great scripts, beautifully shot. And, well, in a lighter vein, Randall Hopkirk was very good. I'm with you on all of those, but a special mention for Jason King. Ah, yes, well, of course... I loved it. It captured the flamboyance of the early 70s, and to do that with one character is a rare achievement. Yes, unforgettable. We'd like to thank all of our guests, Sylvia Sims, Kate O'Mara, Alexandra Bastido, and a special mention to Dick Fiddy. Yeah, TV consultant at the British Film Institute. Yes, he took time out to discuss these shows with us. And he stressed how the music was as much a part of the 60s as the pop charts were. Yeah, it really felt like we'd hit on something when he said that. So thank you, Mr Fiddy. Thank you. We'll be back on the August bank holiday with Fenella and Simon's London counterculture. 
You can find more details about our radio shows and listen to our previous ones on fenellafielding.com. Thank you for listening. Bye. Vanella and Simon's Cult TV Themes is a Fielding McKay production. It was researched, written and presented by Fenella Fielding and Simon McKay. It was recorded at the Lime Grove Pool Studios by John Steele. It features Sylvia Sims, Kay Zomara, Alexandra Bastido, Dick Fiddy and John Astley.